And welcome to We're Not Selling Shoes Here, the only podcast for small charities that focuses not just on why we're driven to do what we do, but also on practical ways that we can make more noise and get more attention. Today, it's a privilege to be joined by Amy Crossweller, Director of Fundraising and Communications at Earthwatch Europe. Welcome, Amy. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. I know we, we go back a while, um, although we haven't seen each other, what we were working out about eight years um, since we since we actually met in person. But we'd worked at Brooks a long time ago. And um, I think when we were both there, there was a drive at Brooks to try and well, in one way, to try and move out of the shadow of big Oxford and establish a, a, a sort of identity of its own. But also we just or we were just finishing that huge uh, campus project and that was giving Brooks a very big sort of profile and I feel that as a university it was trying to do something a bit more than just be an alternative would you say that's true it was trying to kind of do something of its own yes I I do think so um I think Brooks Oxford Brooks is a very interesting organization very interesting institution because it is um it does have a lot of history in in the foreground you know you go to Oxford and and there's that big 800 year old other university and it's all around you um but I think when we were there we we did a lot of work interesting work to understand why that added value and also why it was great not to be the traditional option and to be able to innovate and offer a, a different experience to students whilst at the same time drawing on all the amazing resources and inspiration and um, thinking that was going on within the culture of the city. I'm thinking about starting with that because essentially I, I guess what drew me to Brooks, I'd been a student there already, but what drew me to Brooks was much of what you said, that, that sort of interesting identity kind of seeking going on and trying maybe to do something a bit beyond um, what was down the road you know because obviously you couldn't compete with the kind of academic vigor <laughs> that was going on down there nor would you want to and I wondered whether you were drawn to Brooks in that same way and then obviously to go on to this idea of why you're now working for a non-profit and not just out there selling shoes What's your motivation to be involved in something like Earthwatch or even to be involved in something like, like Brooks University? Well, um, so the reason I loved working for Brooks um, was I felt very passionately about the transformative effect that that learning experience could have on people from all different backgrounds. And, it, it you know, it made... Brooks did a lot of great work making higher education accessible to people, but also just working with people on their, their confidence in themselves and showing them that they could do that. There might have been barriers in their way, but actually there's no reason why they couldn't go on and achieve great things and think, you know, very um, holistically about what they wanted 
from their lives. So, so the sort of the social value of a of um, a university like like Brooks is is you know I think it's very profound. So, it sort of leads on to the answer of why do I work in the charity sector now? It's it's the same motivation really. I think probably anyone you ask why do you work in the not for profit sector, they will tell you that they're motivated by wanting to work for a cause um, and to give something back. Um, I think for me, so the charity that I work for, um, Earthwatch, um, also does very important work and interesting work um, because we're, although we're an environmental charity rooted into our DNA is um, the use of science by ordinary people. So it's what's called um, citizen science. Um, and we use that both as a means of collecting data on what's going on in the environment, but uh, more importantly, as a way of building a, a sort of a deeper connection with the natural world and really helping people get to grips with the reality of what's happening and the impacts of all our actions on nature. So, so I suppose, you know, the same answer that I gave you about what was it about Brooks and the fact that it was interesting and, and challenging the same principles apply to my role now at Earthwatch. What I really wanted um, to pull out from what you just said that I thought was interesting was I mean first of all obviously that that broader picture of um, working with people I've actually been connected to people. So you're obviously talking about science and, you know, about books, about education, about further education, higher education, but that it's driven by a people factor, whether that's citizen science people actually engaging in it or whether it's giving access to, um, to this gateway of education to, to another life, you know, to people across all, all broad ranges of life. But I wanted to pull out the word profound that was in there. Because one of the things I've been thinking through the course of these interviews, we've often talked about where the motivation comes from and what you're trying to achieve as a person, whether that's something that you just simply can't achieve selling shoes, for instance. But the thing that comes back occasionally to me and thinking about the word profound and actually your position about working about um, environmental change and obviously then also in education really works within this because there's a level of saying that those worlds education science environmentalism and the word profound put this sort of drive on a level which is almost elitist and intangible that education is something obviously that's a promise you know you, you go through it to get something but you're essentially doing it to get somewhere else and environmentalism and the drive at the moment to support positive interaction with climate change has you know such difficulty in making it tangible for people you know unlike the farmers in um you know africa who've had to change a thousand years of um of practice of farming their land because of the climate change that's happened in the last sort of you know 20 years we don't have that immediate impact although we see storms and we see things going on we don't have that immediate impact to our day-to-day -day lives so how do you wrestle with this idea of you're drawn to, like you said earlier about a cause, you're drawn to working for a cause, you've been drawn to working for maybe at least two different causes, but those causes are profound, they are intangible. How do you, many people talk about 
what they get from working in charities is that immediate impact. You know, they can see the impact on people because obviously if they're helping homelessness or poverty, you know, these kind of issues, you can get into it on the front line. How do you connect to it? How do you kind of wrestle with that drive when what you're driven to is so intangible and so difficult to kind of comprehend in front of your face? Um, that's a really great question. Um, and it is something that I think about a lot. Um, I am very motivated by people um, and making their lives better. And it's not always obvious why what I do now, um, how that directly um, corresponds with my people motivation. But actually, for, you know, something like the environment, um, that, that is about people. It's about where people live and, and how they connect with their immediate space and their neighbours. And, and, you know, if people don't have access to nature, then there are knock-on impacts on their well-being, both mentally and physically. And the pandemic that we've just all gone through has shone a light on the injustice and inequalities that exist within our society. And, and tied in with that is, um, is people's physical environment and the quality of the physical environment and um, and the the amount of pollution or you know the access to green space that they um, that they they have that they benefit from um, so so I just think it's really fascinating I don't have an immediate answer to this is how we do it um, but I think uh, yeah by by showing by illustrating those connections with people's lives, it becomes more real and tangible and, and urgent as well. The need for action does uh, become more urgent. Um, so there are things uh, that we, you know, there's work that we do specifically with um, underrepresented groups. And we've got um, programs like um, something called Tiny Forest, where we um, stick 600 trees in a really small space in an urban environment um, and we run um, education programs and community engagement programs um, to connect people with that asset that they've got in their in their community um, and that in turn builds new bridges between people within that community and it it creates sort of hopefully a greater sense of belonging so um, yeah, it, it's the, the challenge is making those steps as few as possible in people's uh, uh, impression of your cause. You give money to this and actually this is this is the impact on a life. I think also with environmental um, concerns, it's so huge. You know, climate change is a global problem. It's a global challenge. And you as an individual, might really struggle to see how the choices and actions that you're taking are really gonna make any sort of difference. And the, the great thing about Earthwatch that we spend a long time trying to articulate and I, we've just done a piece of work which gets us closer than we ever have before to being able to successfully do this. It's about doing little things, um, collecting data, from your local river um, that goes into a big database with other data points from people from all over the world that actually demonstrates 
um, national or international trends about what's going on with pollution, as an example. And that, you know, that's it's you're you're a small part of that, but actually by by joining some of these programs, you're part of a movement, and then you do feel that actually you are able to have an impact and effect some sort of change. So I think it's pulling out, teasing out those those tangible strands from um, from the cause that, that is that's the secret to it. But that's not like I say an easy thing to do, and it takes quite a lot of work. I suppose as well on that on that scale. I mean, it's lovely. You know, you're giving you're giving people a thing to do rather than giving them an ask to respond to. So actually enabling them to go into their own environment and take something from it and observe something and making them part of, of like you said, part of the movement. Um, you're actually bringing them together with uh, a process. So uh, like I say, rather than going out, you know, you've kind of painted it quite well there, rather than going out and saying, we need to do this, therefore give us money so we can do it. It's we need X, so help us to understand it, help us you know, contribute towards it, not just in money, not just in giving money, but in giving your interest, in giving your, what I would say, I guess, investment. They're investing in it. Mm-hmm. And I suppose at that level, they've also, there's got to be a level of them already along for the cause. So you're almost preaching a little bit to the converted, but it's it's kind of weaponizing in a way that that um, that threat of people becoming disempowered and feeling disempowered, like you say, because it's so huge that they might then, even a cause they were really behind, they might then have lost engagement with because they don't feel like they could do anything with it. And giving them a way to do something positive and engaging with it um, is a really fantastic path into it. How did you get led into Earthwatch? Was was the cause what drew drew you to the to the job, or was it working in nonprofits? Because you've been in education for quite a long time. Was it working in nonprofits, and then this was a really exciting opportunity? Yeah, I had wanted to move into the nonprofit sector for a while. Um, the Earthwatch opportunity came up at the time when. Um, Blue Planet 2 came out on the BBC and there was all that plastic pollution concern that just was nuts. And this job, that one of the aspects of the job was was to work directly on Earthwatch's plastic pollution programme. And that was the thing that I I just didn't want to miss out on that opportunity. I just wanted to be able able to catch that bus and, you know, and get get on it and make you know feel like I was doing something um, on such a, a high profile issue. Um, so yeah, so that's why that's why I was so excited about it. But I think also um, the experience that I had had um, at Oxford Brooks. You know, quite often this happens with your career. You sort of accidentally have get involved in a few projects, and it 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 gives you a few more um, strings in your bow. And and I had, yeah, I'd, I'd had to, I'd done some stuff. I'm quite an enterprising person. So I'd done some stuff quite recently, which was really relevant to, to this role or the role that I took on at the time. So, um, so yeah, so it was, the stars definitely aligned and the timing was good. Um, but also, yeah, that, you know, I really felt like I was gonna, be one of the movers and shakers in, in a, an, on an issue that I was really passionate about. 
And when you got in there through the door, obviously um, from the outside, you, you can perceive something, a cause, and it's, you know, it's inspirational. And like you say, something's happening. There's a, there's a feeling of change. So it's kind of moving and you want to, like you say, you want to get on that and be part of that. When you're through the door, obviously there's a, there's a mess of stuff that's already going on and uh, needs and priorities that will be thrown at you. But what is it since you started? Because obviously you were in, um, uh, the, was it the senior manager of communications when you started? So obviously yeah. you're, you're also channeling that um, internal narrative to an outside audience. What was it that kept you in touch with that cause and kept you moving forwards so that you could prioritize the right thing so that you could say, well, this stuff has to happen, even though it's a drain maybe on energy, but it's, you know, it has to kind of happen because it's supportive. And I'll, I know that once that's done, it will keep me going. How did you connect to that bigger picture while you were in the kind of the bits and pieces in the cogs? Um, well, so the thing that really, took me by surprise when I moved from higher education was so Earthwatch is a much much smaller operation there's about 50 staff um and it was just the speed that we could get things done but also that we were being asked to get things done so um we launched a big report into um plastic pollution in rivers um I think it was within my first six months and you know and it was really intense and and there were only a few of us I was one of three people working on this report and we would check in all the time and talk about what we needed and what the timelines could be and you know so it, it was quite easy to stay in touch with it because it was there every every week um but I think I think also when I came in um there was a lot of a lot of housework to do there was a lot of processes to review and set up and um sort of yeah ch the challenges that you always get when you start a new job um and it was a good opportunity because a lot of this the team was new um so we could sort of look at things afresh so actually that that sort of kept my energy levels up a bit because it was um, interesting. I mean, like, you know, it, I also did feel like I was banging my head against a brick wall quite frequently, um, trying to get to grips with what the nub of some of the problems were or some, what some of the challenges really were about. Um, but yeah, I think, I think being small, smaller, um, I know we're not small in, you know, in the grand scheme of things when you look at, um, uh, the full gamut of not-for-profits that exist out there um it that it, it felt quite easy you know it was sort of it felt like it was it was there all the time I guess I'm also trying to bring together this picture of you've got your um your engaged audience now that you're getting actually involved like you said the citizen citizen scientists gathering data gathering real um uh, what would you say kind of evidence from their environment that they're compiling through you, bringing back through you to feed into a bigger picture. And then you've got you coming in into a new team, like you say, bits and pieces, progress and uh, processes to kind of put together for the service of a, of a larger picture, although it's moving quite quickly. Um, 
To take a slight tangent, I remember when I was working at Brooks, occasionally walking home um, and picking up litter on the way home because I lived up in Headington. So it was along that long main road up into Headington. From, and I, I went through a phase where I was just, I was picking up bottles and stuff like that that had been discarded everywhere. And I felt like I was doing something. The trouble is, of course, every day you, you see the same thing. So, I mean, you know, I felt like I was doing something. I felt like I was really making a difference. Ultimately, I feel almost like I let myself down a bit by stopping doing it, but it felt so, it felt so fruitless. I mean, apart from the fact that ultimately there was a process to come in and take it away, um, you know, through the council maybe or stuff like that. But I was trying to recycle the bottles and, you know, I was very passionate about that at the time, but it was quite wearing as well because you got to that point where you were just, it was really just a, a treadmill, you know, you're just going through the same action and you don't see a change. You've got people gathering these data points, bringing it to you. You've got yourself pulling together the finer points of a team and of these processes and stuff like that. Um, how, how do you make sure that both you and the people you're then engaging, how do you make sure that they all feel, you all feel like you're taking steps forward rather than just you know repeating the same kind of thing rather than just going through the motions and, and seeing the same problem day in day out so i think that that's where the the need for community comes in um so another of our projects um which is a community by urban biodiversity project called naturehood um we have a huge following on Facebook we have 30,000 people who are members of our Facebook page and that is it, it's evidence for the need for people to come together collectively with like-minded um, others and and can tell them what they're doing and bond over that that sort of lifestyle that they've chosen to live because quite often you can feel really isolated. Like, why am I the only person on this street who cares about this? Or why am I the only person picking up everyone else's litter? Um, and being able to share what you're doing and hearing that other people are having the same experiences. Um, we see that that is really important to our supporters. So that also um, the same goes for our river pollution project. Um, you know, it's, it's about, sharing showing other people what's going on <clears throat> excuse me what's going on elsewhere and um you know and that they're not alone and actually they think that there's a weird trend going on and they can evidence that and see that yes this is a weird trend um so so definitely the importance of community but also you have to be really honest with people about the fact that it's really important that we all do everything that we can but ultimately, you know, environmental issues, this is, this is a government thing. The government has to start um, bringing in new policies to make it easy for everyone to make these choices or to mandate people. You know, it's not even a choice thing. Um, so bringing in a levy on plastic bags or, you know, when light bulbs had to be energy saving, you know, those are the things that make real change happen. Um, and although we're not a campaigning organization, actually being honest and saying, you're doing a great job, but we need other people, you know, we need the big cheeses now to get behind us and, and make this stuff happen. And telling people how they can contribute to that debate and how they can put pressure on um, 
is also really important. I think you have to be authentic about what people can really do, you know, without without deflating them and demoralizing them. So there's definitely a, a balance to be struck. But if we just, you know, communicated externally that this is the answer, this is the only solution, it's got to be citizen science, um, we would very rapidly lose our supporter base because everyone would see through that. So it's about, you know, um, showing the great stuff that you're doing, but also being authentic that, you know, we're all in it together. I think there is, you know, you're definitely right. There's a need for, for honesty in building any community. Um, just from the very, very kind of level of saying that when you build a community, that naturally means there are people in the community and people out of the community. And, and you'll never have it where, you know, you have everybody on board. And thinking about this idea of, you know, selling shoes. Essentially, I've said this in, in other times as well, but I understand that if you sell shoes, you know, you're performing a valuable service. I keep saying to people, you know, yeah, I, I feel like marching about this, that and the other. You know, I feel like getting out there and I have marched about topics that really I really care about because I'm driven to do something, to do anything, to make a, make a statement. But it's really hard to do that in bare feet. You know, I couldn't have marched through London about whatever it was that I was marching through without getting political on the podcast. But, um, you know, in bare feet, it would have been impossible. So I see that there's this element, there's this joining of, of these kind of purposes and, and functions. But there is, and especially, again, when you're talking about something like um, environmentalism, climate change, these huge, big things, which to a degree, you know, you're not saying this, but to a degree, there's a level of, well, that ought to be taken care of by somebody who's, get, who's getting paid more than I am. You know, essentially the government, you know, ought to be coming in and doing things. But you still need, don't we? We still need to get traction with these big causes. We need the people who are selling shoes who aren't driven to do anything beyond selling shoes, we need to appeal to them as well. And how do you how do you have those conversations? How do you prime your community that you're building to go out and in much the same way as you said about um, talking to your own audience, to not go out and sort of be rattling cages and shouting and saying it has to happen because obviously that always drives people away, but to engage positively between the community that's on board and the community that maybe, you know, again, not massively judging here, but maybe it's just focused on selling shoes. So I think it's really important to recognise one of the things that really fascinates me about working for a charity is um, the psychology of giving, of, you know, building a, a long term relationship with a group of people that you will likely never meet in real life and who are being bombarded all the time by all the noise, all the marketing noise that's out there. And um, so, so that's a really motivating factor for me. And I think here it's about sort of recognising that um, people are ultimately very self-serving and um, even their charitable interests connect very closely with what's happening in their own lives and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing at all I think that's a completely natural um, human instinct but understanding how your offer might add value to them even if it's just showing them how their gift to you has made someone else's life better and that they themselves you know that makes them feel good I think um, reaching out to 
there, there's no point really reaching out if you're a fundraiser there's no point trying to reach out to a climate skeptic if you're raising money for the environment <laughs> I guess just it's not going to happen um but I think understanding your audience and and where so we've done you know lots of charities do big market research segmentation exercises um and they're really valuable um but you can do you know you can do that you don't have to pay tens of thousands of pounds for that there are things that you can do yourself and it's about understanding um okay so so we've got the evangelists they're they're really committed to living green and that's great and they're they're participating how do we reach the ones who you know they know that there's a problem they agree with with the sentiment but either they're really busy or um they've prioritized a different cause um or they just don't know what to do how do you reach those people and i think trying to get under the skin of of some of those segments um you know and understand a bit more about their motivations and their behavior so that what you're saying is relevant to them um is is the key there really and and being inclusive we're we're always deliberately inclusive with the materials that we design we never assume that anyone you know has a basic knowledge of the term citizen science um we did do some research and um we did some research into this term and um in our research i think 90 94% of respondents had never heard of citizen science but when we when we gave them some examples of a citizen science activity 75% of them said yeah i'd love to do that that sounds amazing so it's so it's about acknowledging that there's not sort of a, a base of a base of knowledge and um and experience there and and just showing everyone that they can come along for the ride and also not sort of expecting everyone to immediately overnight become evangelical because they've interacted with your cause and you know just just um taking it as it comes and and sort of watching how the progress unfolds there's a level as well isn't there of of trying hard to balance those worlds between the evangelicals like you said who are, you know the early adopters to use that kind of um uh distribution curve model when you start trying to cross that gap into the into the next phase of people and bringing them on that you're not contravening the support if that's the right word of the um of the evangelicals by making it accessible and and digestible for the for the next stage i don't know whether you saw um i can't remember exactly how how it worked but uh, oatly recently ran into quite a bit of pushback from a lot of their die hard fans because they started putting out this idea of being a breakfast vegan that you could be a vegan for breakfast and there were a lot of people certainly that i was looking at in say like the vegan threads of uh, reddit and that kind of stuff who were like this is you know they are they're not just they didn't recognize it as maybe a slightly you know fudged maybe good intentioned attempt to broaden the vegan sort of um audience to get people just being vegan at one meal um but they were definitely seeing it that it was like only had abandoned their principles that they'd kind of um they'd actually done something that almost would then drive away their die hard fans because now they weren't the company that they they were originally so it's a very difficult and and with environmentalism 
surely that you must have some people in your diehard audience in your evangelicals who are sort of looking at the citizen science idea and saying oh well it won't be in controlled environments it won't be how do you manage that conversation without without sort of you know if you've got 10 times the size of the audience that are this new audience that aren't quite so motivated and have other things in their life compared to the evangelicals obviously it's a big audience and an important audience to go for but you've got to maintain that support of the evangelicals how do you find the challenges in that in that balancing and how do you get over them yeah we have had instances where we are presenting easy options for people and we get we get backlash um i think there's a lot of evidence out there now that you've got to you've got to bring everyone along um and we have our own evidence that shows where people different people will draw the line what is and isn't feasible for them um so if we're challenged we can you know we can produce that evidence um i think so so on the citizen science point um because it's our specialism we're we're sort of at the forefront of the of a, of a european and and also international research movement that um that is about demonstrating how you can make citizen science robust and the things that you that you need to the ingredients that you need in order to do that. Um, and so we're able to fall back on those credentials. I mean, ultimately, if if your cause, if if the way that you're articulating your cause or the way that that you're having impact with your cause doesn't float someone's boat, it's okay to to say thank you it's been lovely and I wish you well um because you're in pursuit of you know of, of other things that the, the supporter base has to constantly move as people's behaviors and attitudes move um and you know it's an unprecedented time for that so I think feeling okay and not overly defensive about what you're doing is the answer there um and and having the confidence in what you're saying you know, we will have far greater impact if we reach um, 10,000 people who are sort of on the edge of, yeah, I do this a bit, but it's a bit inconvenient and it's much easier if I can do that. Um, if we can shift the dial for them, then we're going to make much more of a difference than we are to uh, the 500 people who are already living and breathing everything that they can to do with pro-environmental behaviour. So putting all that together then and thinking about your your pathway at the moment, if you like, you know, you've been at Earthwatch, I think, for about three years. Is that right? Um, and you're you studied now let me get this right. Is it classics that you studied history? Yeah, yeah. studied classics, yeah. <laughs> so you've had um, you know, quite a good <laughs> broad range. You've got a big picture kind of mindset, I would say. That's how you know that kind of study maybe opens you up to. And then obviously higher education, big picture mindset, you're talking about people's future. And now the kind of big picture mindset that you have in um, the battle against climate change and, and trying to move people, you know, closer to how they can how they can actually impact themselves on that on that bigger picture. Where do you see yourself going to now, given that you've talked about your motivations very much about people, you're motivated by people, but clearly by people and the bigger picture. 
So what hopes, what aspirations do you have for the future that link into that cause? And, you know, do you think that if the, if the offer was ever good enough, could you ever be tempted to go and sell shoes for a living? Or do you think this is the path now and you've got to pursue this, this passion, this, this drive for something bigger? I don't think I could ever go and sell shoes. <laughs> I'm sorry if that's a disappointment. You know, it's um, once you, it, it's a hard, sometimes it's a really hard slog fundraising for an intangible at times cause. Um, and you hit um, hurdles along the way. But when you get a success, it's so exhilarating. And you know that you, that your work is going to make a difference um so so yeah I think you know we we struggle I'd love to have some some unlimited budgets that I might have in the in the commercial world and maybe the occasional bonus for great performance that would be lovely but you know it's those things um they don't they don't give me the same intellectual challenge that I get in a in a small place where we're we're sort of it's it's so 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 my my remit um, at Earthwatch is very similar to lots of new, newer not-for-profit brands. You know, I'm trying to build a public uh, supporter base um, for an organisation that has for 30 years relied on corporate partnerships to, to bring in the majority of the income. So it's a bit like doing a startup. Um, and that means that, um, that I have lots of freedom to be creative in what I do. and um, try new things and see what works and I'm a huge advocate of sort of agile mindsets and not being afraid to fail and really assessing as you go and, and trying to understand what's going on um so so I don't know what my what the next step in my career path looks like or um yeah it, what the map is going to be but I think I know myself well enough to understand those those things that are important to me, having having some creative freedom, and being able to be quite analytical with the results that we get, and and um, yeah, flexing, you know, being ambitious, but looking at what steps we need to get there. Those are all the things that that push my buttons and that, that make me get up in the morning. And it's not it's not a Christmas bonus, but I would love one of those one day. <laughs> Well, yeah, never say never, hey. But uh, a Christmas bonus for having served that larger purpose, maybe over the over the course of a year. If we're if we're gonna um, go there, then actually, I think that was a brilliant moment to look at you talking about being a startup, and um, you know, thinking about what I hope is an audience for for me of um, smaller charities who are sat there and saying much the same thing. Yeah, we'd love an unlimited budget as well, but fifty people on staff feels like oh my god, that is an unlimited budget. So obviously they're, they're worlds apart maybe, but thinking then in that startup mindset and imagining that all of the legal issues, governance, everything like that is taken care of by somebody else. And it's a cause that's close to your heart and we're not going to go into the cause. But if tomorrow you were going to start a brand new charity, how would you go about reaching your first 1000 donations? And what I would love is if we could call back to something you spoke about earlier, which was about, I think about, gifts and relationships 
Um, because that's certainly where a lot of my passion lies at the moment is this idea of generosity, building connections with people rather than just rather than just getting to a point, you know, almost like um, the Obama campaign did in the um, election um, so many years ago, where it was those tiny micro transactions that brought in such huge amount. But they were still transactions. They were part of a bigger thrust. They were part of a bigger sort of story. But at the same time, they were very much transactionally based. But if we could talk about gifts and generosity and relationship building, how would you get to your first 1,000 donations for that new, brand new organisation? I think that the answer um, to that is basically about tenacity. It's, it's about going for it and saying the same thing over and over again, but in different ways. Um, you know, there's quite a lot of evidence to show that people have to hear the same thing several times before the message starts to sink in and um, they start to act on it. Um, and I think that's sort of not what I was talking about, the agile mindset, not being afraid to fail, being really gutsy and, um, you know, putting yourself out there and maybe it's outside your comfort zone, but you're going to give it a go. Um, and, and finding what works and what doesn't. You know, I was talking about knowing your audience and having market intelligence you can get that by just chatting to your friends and your family and finding out you know what motivates them and and you can pitch to them and ask them you know what what were there any nuggets in there that you thought oh yeah actually that's really interesting you know just just keep on going and, and trying to draw energy from wherever you can in order to keep fueling your efforts um and make that more kind of pointy and practical there's two things i want to address there like first of all is um i like the fact you were talking about you know talking to friends and family because otherwise if it is i think you're right about broadcasting but there, there comes a point doesn't there where if it's all broadcast it's just kind of white noise so maybe how how practically would you make sure that you are going through this testing and learning process this is that you know failing is just learning in the right direction but you've got to be able to learn from it. So the first thing I'd say is how, how practically with this brand new organization, would you make attempts to fail, if you like, make attempts to broadcast and then recognize that that had failed and learn from it? Mm. I suppose it's just about, it, you have to set your objectives, don't you, at the start um, and understand how you're gonna measure your success against those objectives. Um, and so I would, what I would do on a very practical level is I would put together five different kinds of activity. I do a, I love a spreadsheet or a table. So I'd make my table and I'd have five rows and I'd say, we're gonna try, we're gonna try this thing, this thing, this thing. Um, and, and, you know, just develop the prototypes of what that looks like. You've got to have your stories, you, you know, this is the, the content that you're drawing off. How, how is how is your cause making a difference or going to make a difference and and try different forms of execution um, and see how it works you know look at how much money you're actually going to have to put into putting that message out um, you could print leaflets but who's going to give out the leaflets you know think about that stuff how much time does it take to, to do the, those things because actually that that goes on to your bottom line of costs as well and understanding your return on investment um 
looking at what you can achieve with tools that already exist in people's lives. So I mentioned um, Facebook earlier. Um, you may not agree with the ethics of Facebook and, you know, that, that as a business meta now, whatever they're called, but um, they're in, you know, they're in people's lives every day and, and they, that is a great channel, a, a legitimate channel to use to reach out to people and be there in the space that they're in as well. Um, I mean, there's a choice there, isn't there? Not to cut you off, but there's a choice there, which I think often you have this decision of whether to swim uphill to try and do everything, you know, so not use Facebook, not use this, not use that, to swim uphill and and try and achieve something or to to kind of allow things to flow and, and and to choose the things that, yes, you know, maybe Facebook is a little bit, ethically challenging but we can at least do something that we are ethically happy about on that network and like you say people are already there that maybe in the future while we run that we could keep something going on the side that would build much slower but that ultimately would be able to replace if we wanted to move away from that ethical challenge you know replace Facebook and do something else um I mean where were you going to go on to from there well I think I was just going to say just just try and relax and see see what happens you know be ambitious for yourself and hold yourself to account but also commit to your plan and have faith in your plan and and just see and learn from it if it doesn't pan out the way that you expect it to that's fine um so that's you know that's really it it's just about um giving things a go and seeing because actually you will always be very um surprised by the results that you get I'm I'm always surprised you know if we get a random donation from someone who hasn't been in touch with us for four years that's amazing and I'd, I'd love to find out more about what prompted that so um so yeah so I think having that open mindset and be willing to learn and, and see where it takes you and so when you're talking about um, using these channels having these experiments if you like to bring something to people's lives. You know, I like this theory about going out and actually finding the thing in, in your audience that is missing and seeing if there's a way for you to fill that without an expectation, you know, trying to do it just to raise a sort of relationship as we're talking about. Um, and it sounds like what you you do in that situation is you, you, you go out, you understand your audience, not just by looking at them, but by talking directly to them. And then, um, and then you do something for that audience and then you talk and listen to them directly again. And how, how do you get to that audience? How do you get to either your, you know, I guess you don't have direct beneficiaries, but how do you get to your audience um, in order to understand whether what you're doing is working or whether there's something that you can offer them? Um, what kind of advice would you give to an, a, a charity trying to do that? So I think there's lots of free tools out there to help you evaluate what you're doing. Um, so in-platform analytics, um, web analytics, um, being able to use tracking to see who's clicked on a link or which links people are clicking on and what's happening after that. Um, these are all great weapons to have in your, in your market intelligence arsenal that are free. Um, and they take a bit of time to interrogate, but, you know, it gives you so much um, evidence that what you're doing is is successful. And then you can take that to your stakeholders and say, yeah, we could go out and leaflet 
but look we've we've sent um an email out via this partner and we can see that we've had um a 70 percent increase in our web traffic as a result and um and it's resulted in you know 46 new donations that's that's really nice to be able to piece that breadcrumb trail um back to where you started from so um so yeah just use what you've got and also if you do have the opportunity to talk to some of your supporters even just you know sending them a quick thank you email and asking if they can fill in a survey or um chat to you on the phone i've done that a lot actually in the last couple of years i've set up phone calls with people um, who are giving us quite a lot of their time to really understand what it is that they want to get out of it and um, and why they love what they're doing and those have been so important just to just to sort of lay the foundations for the next step of our plans. That hooks actually into two things I was going to say um, because on the one hand there's if we're starting a brand new organization you've got no existing you haven't got like Earthwatch has 30 years of interaction with a website to see a baseline but that is what prompts you then to say that's why you've got to get out there and do stuff isn't it so even if you go we sent out an email we had 20 people that we picked up from a you know a sign-in sheet whatever that we put out here 10 of them did it you've still got something you're not working from a blank sheet so I guess like the first thing to do is to make sure that whatever you do, you're getting rid of that blank sheet of paper as soon as you possibly can. So you can start seeing the progress, start seeing the movement. But I like then what you were saying about talking to people because my second kind of element of, of interrogating you, if you like, for advice was going to be, you mentioned about raising energy, bringing energy together and how as a brand new organization, would you find those energy sources? Because obviously a lot of it's personal. What do you look for? How do you get close to that energy? How do you make sure that energy is flowing in? And does it come from, as I'm sure it probably does, that direct contact with people? So you're not just broadcasting and keeping your distance. You're really getting stuck in. I mean, first of all, how have you found those places to be energized? And secondly, how would you help someone or recommend to somebody that they look for places that they could become energized so they can keep on this hard slog as you called it i think i think the answer is knowing yourself and and what works for you so for me interacting with my colleagues is really important um and having time to talk to my team about what's going on um, and also having opportunities to engage directly with the work that we do. Um, so inviting myself along to uh, tree planting sessions or um, water monitoring days uh, is, is really important just to sort of ground yourself again in, in the work that you've done and like, and what is the point of what you're actually trying to achieve? You know, that, that's the end, the end goal. Um, and and I guess just being kind to yourself and giving yourself time away. You know, some of the best thinking that I do is when I'm not sitting in front of my laptop or sitting in the office um, working at a screen is when I'm I've gone out for a walk or um, I'm sitting with a glass of wine in the garden or I'm in the shower. You know, it's those things where you have to let your brain sort of move away from the things that you're thinking about. And then suddenly you get that insight and inspiration. I, I wrote some new messaging for Earthwatch when I woke up in the middle of the night for a random reason, not a work stress related reason, but I was awake 
probably my daughter woke me up and um and I and I suddenly was like I know what the messaging needs to be and I very hurriedly I grabbed a, a pen and scribbled in the dark what I thought of um so yeah so so sort of stepping away from it all and getting some a different perspective on things is always really invaluable yeah I think there's there's a level isn't there of it's wonderful to pursue your passion it's wonderful to be driven by something but when you're selling shoes you essentially can boil that down to a profit and loss statement to a nine to five you know it can it can be put in a box literally can't it and you walk away from it and although you might be excited about you know the next thing coming in or stuff like that I would say on the whole, it's not the same kind of thing that, that because it's not a larger picture that you're trying to serve. It's not driving you at the same time, all the times that you're living. And, um, you know, you're not getting up early in the morning for a bigger picture. You're not, get, you know, pushing yourself harder for a bigger picture. It's almost closer to home. It's on your doorstep. And so when you do that, when you, when you push yourself, especially like we've talked about for an intangible sort of abstract thing that you're, diff- you're kind of wrestling with, yeah then looking at yourself and and again I've used this before but fitting your own mask first like you said taking care of yourself knowing what works for you such a key element I think that's an absolutely fantastic place to leave it unless you have any more advice for you know someone who was on that road trying to grow their small charity to get a bit more attention I would just say believe in yourself um, because you've got superpowers. We all have and they're in there and you just need to unlock them and find the way to do that. So, um, so yeah, so keep going. And, and we all, I think everyone in this sector does such an amazing job and, and I just am constantly inspired when I, when I meet other people who, um, who work in this arena. Lovely. Fantastic. Amy, thank you so much for everything. That's been really insightful. I've loved that. And um, I look forward to seeing what Earthwatch does in the future. Great, thank you, Ben. Take care. Bye.